This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hello and welcome to Radio Astronomy, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Robert Yoel is a human spaceflight expert with over 30 years' experience in the field. In recent years, Robert has helped out in Hollywood, acting as a technical consultant for films such as Ad Astra and Lucy in the Sky. Today, we're going to be talking about his latest work on Disney Plus's remake of the iconic astronaut film The Right Stuff, based on Tom Wilf's book of the same name. Both the 1983 original film and this new series follow the trials of NASA's first ever astronaut class, known as the Mercury 7 due to their participation on Project Mercury. Between 1958 and 1963, Project Mercury developed and then launched the first ever US spacecraft capable of supporting a single human, laying the groundwork for all of NASA's future space missions. So, Robert, what was your role in the series? Well, uh, I was, as you mentioned, already uh, a consultant uh, for the uh, the two films you mentioned. And uh, as word gets around in, in this business, uh, the producers heard about uh, my background and thought I would be a great match uh, for this uh, for this series. So as a technical consultant, uh, I work really close with the writers, uh, the directors, the actors, set designers, costume, you name it, uh, just to ensure the authenticity of everything uh, that you're going to see on the screen. Were there any areas that you particularly contributed to? Well, certainly what you're going to see in this series, which, uh, by the way, is going to go into much deeper technical insight than the film ever did, um, you're going to see for the first time depicted in detail the Mercury Control Center. So for Project Mercury, uh, the control center was located in Florida, as opposed to Houston uh, later on that I'm sure most are familiar with. And that early control center there in, in, in the early 1960s was quite primitive by today's standards. However, uh, they were using a few pieces of equipment, which, in fact, I operated as a flight controller and mission control in the 90s uh, for the space shuttle program. Uh, For instance, something called a strip chart recorder. So um, as opposed to seeing data from a spacecraft with numerical digital numbers, one would have to look at a uh, a piece of paper that uh, is being uh, uh, moved along on a drum, and then you have a pen with a needle uh, producing uh, sort of a graph um, representation of the data. Well, that was really the primary means by which the Mercury flight controllers were looking at data 
from the Mercury spacecraft. So this is something that uh, I explained to the uh, the props people, uh, again, the actors, everyone involved, uh, because frankly, I think today most people would not know what on earth a strip chart recorder is. So uh, um, so I think that was one piece I can point to that I, I provided some great help uh, to the production. It's You're going to see... Uh, Certainly, in the in the later episodes, when we we actually show uh, Shepard's flight, uh, some really marvelous detail uh, portrayed there, um, because uh, um, there were a few things that occurred during his flight which were unexpected. Um, uh, the uh, the Mercury capsule had a periscope, which was the astronauts' primary view of the Earth. Uh, uh, the first uh, spacecraft that uh, that was flown by Shepard did not have the same larger pilot's window that Gus Grissom and the following astronauts used. So, um, so in using that periscope, um, uh, there was a little anomaly there that uh, you'll you'll see in that episode, which uh, Shepard sort of just had to live with. <laughs> For the, for the short duration of his flight, but uh, I helped uh, with the uh, the description and the overall look of that scene by working uh, with uh, the CGI folks, uh, again, with the director and even uh, with the actor on that one. Now, you might be uh, a bit biased on this one, um, but how accurate do you think the series is to the way things were during the Mercury missions? Oh, I, I think it's uh, tremendously accurate, and and really, uh, by comparison, the film is great. It's it stands the test of time, but in some ways, isn't all one hundred percent accurate by comparison. But that's fine. Uh, it, it you know it, it did well to to uh, bring the spirit of Tom Wolfe's book to life. What we're doing here in this series is taking it to another level, uh, to a much higher level of authenticity. And frankly, with today's technology, with CGI, we're able to do things that they couldn't do in 1983 for the film. So uh, from that perspective, uh, I think it's it's uh, very true to life. And I think because of what we're focusing on these episodes, which, again, you didn't have time to focus in a in a two and two and a half or three hour film, uh, the viewers are going to see some fantastic uh, depictions of, of detail that have never before been shown, uh, at least in a dramatic sense, uh, on screen before. So you worked on films before. Uh, how different was this experience to those previous times? This was my first opportunity working on a television series. So having worked two feature films and going to see. Uh, this production, what really uh, was interesting for me is the fact that really you had as many, if not more, production folks involved in making uh, a TV series than you did with a with a high uh, budget feature film. So, so perhaps uh, for me that that was uh, eye opening. Your background is in much more modern space flight, uh, the space shuttle, and so on. Looking back at these historical space flights, which are Mercury's from the very, very earliest era of human space flights, was there anything that really surprised you? Well, certainly what's, what's 
not so much surprising, maybe shocking uh, is the word, is you know how primitive the technology was at the time, and and the incredible fortune that we had of many many successes, given the fact that uh, well, as as an example in the in the case of the flight controllers, they had so little insight into what was happening on the vehicle. They heavily heavily relied literally on the voice of the astronaut to convey what was happening because unlike the space shuttle for instance where we had tens of thousands of individual data inputs to look at in any given second i believe the mercury capsule only had about a hundred or so parameters that the ground could look at in real time so just on that point alone it's it's really amazing uh, that uh, we were able to to have the successes we had, not to mention the fact that there was no internet, of course, in 1961. Um, many of the remote sites around the world um, that were supporting uh, the, the Mercury, the, the later orbital Mercury flights, uh, had no ability to uh, provide live uh, voice back to uh, Florida. In some cases, they had to teletype literally sending little telegrams back to Florida to convey the information that they had just seen as the capsule passed over Kano, Nigeria, for instance, or uh, some of the other uh, remote sites, uh, particularly in Africa. And given all of those, I suppose, hardships is the word, would you have still liked to have been in the control room back then? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and certainly uh, later in the Apollo era, for sure. Uh, I was privileged enough to have worked still uh, in that very room in Houston where we uh, controlled the Apollo missions. We were still using it for the space shuttle program in the 90s, believe it or not. But uh, to have been there right at the start of Mercury would have been a, um, a tremendous privilege. Earlier, you mentioned how primitive some of the technology was on Mercury. Um, And there's one scene I I remember from the trailer that really struck out for me, which was when the astronauts are walking around that Mercury capsule. It's, It's barely taller than they are, and it looks like it's been riveted together from an old shed. Were these things really as fragile as they looked? Well, yes, they were... They were very, very simple design and uh, uh, not a single computer, obviously, to be found on board because back in those days, computers were the size of your your uh, apartment. So, uh, yeah, the the uh, the capsules were were hand built. Of course, they were uh, hand wired. Uh, if, if you have the opportunity to visit the United States and see one of the Mercury capsules on display, whether it's at the Smithsonian Institution or one of the other museums, you know, take a look inside and look at all the wire bundles behind the control panel, just all over the place. Uh, it was it was not this uh, perfectly streamlined, uh, clean-as-a-whistle capsule like you saw this year with the SpaceX Dragon. Uh, it, it certainly was crude, but it did its job. 
Uh, it was designed to keep uh, later on to keep an astronaut alive in space for one day. That's it. Uh, for the for the purpose of Shepard's flight, of course, it just had to keep him alive for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So uh, it it did its job, and uh, um, it, remarkable as as it is uh, when you look at it today. And how does that Mercury capsule compare to today's more modern spacecraft? Uh, a 1960 uh, Triumph Spitfire to a uh, a 2020 uh, Aston Martin. Okay, that that's probably the best analogy I could give you. Um, the amount of computing power on board the SpaceX Dragon uh, is remarkable, and that's why it can perform practically autonomously uh, for an entire orbital mission. That simply would not have been possible with a Mercury capsule. Uh, It had, a Mercury capsule had, if you will, a pre-programmed trajectory, at least for the suborbital missions. Uh, But it was as if you were just riding on on a roller coaster rail for 15 minutes. You didn't really have much, uh, um, capability to to move the capsule outside of a trajectory, uh, if you will, like like you could today with a modern spacecraft. Uh, it's it's really no comparison. Um, you're talking about um, a tremendous amount of, of uh, uh, safety that has been um, Im- included now into uh, modern spacecraft that didn't exist for Mercury either. The uh, the launch escape tower on the Mercury capsule was probably the biggest uh, safety piece it had. There was no ejection seat. There was really no easy way otherwise for an astronaut to uh, to get out of harm's way other than that uh, that launch escape tower, which uh, would have would have taken the capsule off of the rocket had something something really bad had happened in the first few minutes of flight. There's been something of a run of astronaut films and TV series in recent years, um, specifically about astronauts and not just space. Uh, Two of them you worked on, but we've also had things like Gravity and Space Force and First Man. What do you think's caused this resurgence in interest? Well, I think a lot of it can be uh, attributed to the the vast private... um, Enterprises now going on between uh, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Richard Branson. It's now bringing spaceflight closer to uh, to the grasp of everyday people. Uh, let's say for now, at least to not everyday people, the billionaires, but eventually it will be everyday people who will have the opportunity to uh, to have their own Alan Shepard flight if you will, because essentially what what Richard Branson is doing with Virgin Galactic is uh, a modern way of reproducing uh, the suborbital flight of, of Alan Shepard. So um, today for $250,000, you could do that. And uh, I think this, this great uh, uh, new enterprise is igniting the public's interest again, and uh, I think Hollywood is, is answering the call. Shortly before we recorded this interview, uh, NASA had announced their plans to return to the moon with the Artemis mission um, and how they were going to go about doing that. We've also had 
SpaceX complete their first successful crew test and it looks like Boeing isn't far behind. Given these advancements, I think it's really interesting to look back at these early eras of spaceflight, the beginnings of NASA's plans in space, um, such as Mercury, and looking about what they ultimately hoped to achieve with exploring space. Do you think those goals that they have back then have been met, or is there still more left to do? Well, I think for sure, as far as Earth orbital flight, we've reached it, which is a tremendous testament to the last 60 years, for sure. Um, We have a long way to go before lunar flight and Mars missions are as routine, but we'll get there eventually. But uh, yes, absolutely. I think the Dragon mission this year, which, uh, um, you know, which was, of course, orbital, so you could say it was the the modern recreation of John Glenn's flight. Well, it it proves how uh, how far we've come in uh, in technology, and it also, I think, gives us a real pause to look back at Mercury and just again marvel at how they start with a blank sheet of paper, not just from the spacecraft side, but again from the mission control aspect. From how do you set aside a a list of flight rules to implement and have a flight director who would implement those rules and say, we must end the mission now and get the astronaut back. All of these things didn't exist even two years before Alan Shepard's flight. And then they came to life thanks to men like Christopher Kraft, who you're going to see portrayed in the series uh, as the first flight director for NASA. So um, the events of today uh, are a real wonderful contrast uh, for us to look back uh, to this, to the, uh, the history that will be portrayed in the series. Are there any other space stories that you'd really like to be involved with telling? Sorry, I was just going to say, well, I would absolutely want to be involved in uh, something that talks about the first space shuttle mission, because really that hasn't been... Um, in my view, well dramatized or described before. And I think the story of how John Young and Bob Crippen in 1981 flew the space shuttle for the first time, literally before it had ever flown at all, is tremendous. Because mind you, prior to the space shuttle, just like with Mercury, every American spacecraft had flown without astronauts prior to putting them in. But that was not the case for the space shuttle. So having looked back on the past, are you excited to find out what's coming next in the future of human spaceflight? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, when I joined NASA in 1989, it happened to coincide with the week that we were celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission. And uh, if you recall, in July of 89, then-President Bush made this announcement that we were going to go back to the moon with astronauts, we're going to go on to Mars. And at that time, there was talk that that would happen, you know, sometime in the early 21st century. Well, uh, here we are. We haven't done it yet. And I've been waiting all these years to see it happen. So I am really, really hoping that uh, we do get back to the moon soon and uh, and not too much after that uh, see the first astronauts land on Mars. 
Well, I think that is a lovely sentiment to end on. Thank you very much, Robert, for taking the time to talk to us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. And uh, um, just uh, really excited about the series and hope your viewers enjoy it. If all of that has sparked your interest to find out more about the Mercury Project and the astronauts that flew within it, then you can watch the new series of The Right Stuff out on Disney Plus now. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Radio Astronomy Podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Jack Bateman and Ben Hewitt. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to iTunes, Acast or Spotify. Spotify.